All right. How many of you are ready to reach a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. In fact, um, uh, my prayer over the last 21 days as you guys have, or many of you have entered into a time of prayer and fasting is, God, uh, use this church to wake something up in this city full of churches. Do something in us that is miraculous, that is earth-shattering And I can't wait to see what God is going to do through this broadening vision. Last week, we started this series called Circles, uh, where we're talking about the broadening vision of Brentwood Church moving forward. We celebrate 15 years uh, this year. We're ready for the next 15 years and how God is growing us up as a church and saying, look, here's how you're going to leverage your story. Here's how you're going to leverage your obedience. Here's how you're going to leverage the struggles and the trials and the triumphs and all the things that I've done in and through this church for the next season to reach the city on a whole new level. But it begins with a vision. What is a vision, though? A vision, as we talked about last week, is an ideal picture of the future. It's a group of people, whether it's a family or a church or an organization that says, hey, wouldn't the world be a better place if we did this or if we became this? There is a hole, there's a gap going on in our culture, in our world, or wherever our circles of influence are. And if we did this, if we became this, if we acted this out, then we would see the world change. That's a vision for the future. Men, you got to have a vision for your home. You have to. I, I just, just, just want to go, go after this for a second. As a, as a husband and a father, a future husband, a future father, wherever you are in that story, have a vision for your home besides paying bills and getting your kids out of the house without embarrassing you. That is not a vision for the future, okay? That is not, that is not audacious. That is not like only God could do that. In fact, the scriptures even say this. That where there is no vision, the people perish. And what that means is people start to flounder. People start to go in circles when they don't see an ideal picture of the future cast by someone who is on their face and on their knees before the God that we just sang to this morning saying, hey, honey, hey, children, I want to let you know what God said to me this morning. We're going after this thing. Will you come with me? Man, I'm telling you what, you get a hold of that kind of vision, you get all the distractions out of your way that keep you down and keep you bound, trying to find your identity through your work, trying to escape through lust and pornography, trying to do whatever you can to distract yourself from the pain and the struggle of this life, and you get clouded from a vision. I'm going to tell you something, you're going to start spinning in circles, and so is your family. But if you'll let God get a hold of your heart and your life and press on you and, 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 and coach you and, and, and show you something big, I'm telling you what, your family will change the world and God will honor you for it. Can I get a witness? Yes, yes. Men, are you ready? Men, are you ready today? Are you ready to have a vision for your family? I'm ready. Here's the deal. I asked this to my kids this week. I said, hey... Where do you see this family going in a year? And my daughter speaks up. She's 12 years old. She's like, well, I see us having more time where you and mom uh, date 
date us kids, you know, you take us out. So she's, you know, she's a girl, she's very relational, you know, she can see us a year from now, you know, hanging out in a coffee shop. And uh, my son, Ethan, who's 11 years old, uh, he's very entrepreneurial. He's like, I think you guys should be giving us allowance a year from now. Uh, you know, I'm going to be, uh, you know, starting my little lawn business, and I think you guys should be paying me for that. Okay, that's cool. Uh, my eight-year-old Chase, um, he, he took it literal. I mean, he's like, I literally see us a year from today walking into Kroger. <laughs> okay, well, tell me a little bit more about this, man. We're walking into Kroger, and we're going down the candy aisle, and everybody gets a chocolate candy bar. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> that's his vision for the future. We as a church have to have a vision for the future that only God can show us and only God can accomplish through us, not one that we can accomplish ourselves. And last week we said, hey, listen, um, the, the vision that we've had as a church to be a relevant, exciting church for unchurched people, man, that has driven us and sustained us for years. That's going to be a great value of ours, but the vision of this church has to broaden. So last week we just kind of said, hey, this is what's been swirling around. This is what's been getting in the DNA of our church over the last year. So let's just go ahead and proclaim it and and then go after it. And that is to be a church that leads people to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. Who are these people? We're talking about churched and unchurched people. We live in a very churched culture. And it doesn't matter uh, where you are near or far from Christ. There's always a new or a next, there's always a deeper or a more place that you and I can go with Jesus. There's new places that we can believe in him. There's new places that we must die to ourselves. There's new places that we must follow him into audacious things. But also, people also represents non-Christians and unchurched people. We want to be a church and continue to be a church that says to people who are far from God and far from his church, say, hey, Come to our gatherings and know that hospitality and proclamation will change your life. We want to continue to be a church for people to take that next or that new step in Christ as they surrender their life to Jesus for the first time. But we started talking about why it's important that there is a church in this city that has a vision that says we're, we're just going to be about constantly pressing and pushing people to new and deeper levels. There has to be that church in this town because we have to keep moving forward into Christ. We never arrive. There's never a place at which we say, okay, I've got this down. I'm good to go. And we're just going to be a church that's always wrestling with the challenge and the discomfort, the triumph and the celebration of that vision. But we began to talk specifically about circles, more, more clearly, circles of influence. Write this down. What is a circle of influence? It is the people that we affect through our proximity, relationships, and behavior. You have proximity with people every day in your home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your church, in your community group, just by showing up. Just by walking into the room, you have proximity with them. You are there in their space. And you're going to affect them by even walking into the room. You guys know what I'm talking about. There are people at your workplace that as soon as they walk in the room, everybody goes, oh. And they haven't said anything. 
And then there are people who walk in the room, you know, like Jesse Pratt back there on the back row, and you're just like, the party has just arrived. You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, Jesse doesn't even have to say anything, and you just start feeling like you want to dance. There are people who just affect us by their proximity to us. They're energizing to us, and there are people who drain us. Uh, Relationships, that's access. You know, whether you know it or not, you allow people certain access to your heart, to your secrets, to the deeper parts of yourself, to your thoughts. You, you, you bring some people really, really close into that. And then there are some people who just have sort of a public view of that. And then there are people in between. You're going to affect those people through a circle of influence. And then our behavior, the way that our thoughts, our feelings really begin to affect the way we act and the way we react to relationships and to circumstances around us. All of that is what we think of as a circle of influence. You have a circle of influence. And so if we all have a circle of influence and we affect people with proximity, relationships, and behavior, then how are we going to accomplish a broader vision for this church? And last week we spelled out three actions that will be a part of our church and the future of our church. Everybody a mentor. Everybody a mentor. Say that with me. One, two, three. Everybody a mentor. You have a circle of influence. You have proximity with people. God is going to put people in your life and say, I want you to come alongside this person and pour your life in Christ into them. Every group a mission. We're going to talk more about that in this series. We are a church of community groups. Eight to ten people doing life and doing faith together on mission as they seek biblically functioning community. We have Group Link coming up in March. There's going to be a whole new set of groups that are launched with this mission. Every group a mission. More about that in the series. And then every family serving Mosaic. That is our mandate as a church. We believe that God has put a mandate on us to see to it that the foster and adoptive families in this city have families that are constantly being resourced and prepared to offer safe arms and healthy homes to these children in our local community. Uh, My wife is one of the directors and one of the team members uh, of this, and and just yesterday she got a a call from one of the agencies and and a family here in our church, and, and I was between meetings and I was getting ready to walk out. She's like, hey, before you leave, do you want to adopt a 6 and 11-year-old couple, our, our brother and sister? I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm getting ready to go to a meeting. She's like, just think about it on your way there. <laughs> but that's the, like, that shouldn't be crazy in our church as we move forward. And what's so cool is she calls two people, and, and by the time she gets to the second call, they say, absolutely, absolutely, bring them on. That's going to be our church in the future. Like, well, we're just walking out the door. Hey, I'm going to Moe's to get a burrito, and I might adopt a kid on the way there. <laughs> right? Come on. But that's a vision. That's going to change. Listen, we, we're not just going to show up and meet and sing some pretty songs and hear Catherine over here just like, wow, like, I just want to worship God right now and, and then go live my life. No, we're going to live our lives as an act of worship, and then we're just going to show up here and express it. Because God is doing something powerful in us. But today, I want to talk about everybody a mentor. Uh, Turn with me to the the gospel of Mark, 
chapter 3, the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, um, David Stoddard said this. He said, mentoring is one of the best ways to have a significant personal impact on society, even for generations. Listen, you may never stand before hundreds of people at one time and communicate with them. You may never uh, be a teacher in a room full of 30 people. But you can sit across a coffee shop table or in a living room or in a restaurant booth and you can pour the wisdom and the experience of your journey in Christ into somebody else. Whether it's for three hours or three weeks or three years, you can have an impact on a person that will affect not only the world, but generations to come. I want you to look to the person to your left and to your right. I know it's going to seem a little weird for you in a second. I want you to say, you're a mentor and so am I. Go ahead and say it. You're a mentor and so am I. Yeah. Woo, you just declared it. You just declared it. You're, you're stuck now. You are, you are. Listen, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and his resurrection power, if you honestly believe that he is God's son, that he died on a cross for your sins to give you full and forever life with God, why in the world would you not give that away to one other person? And, and you know, we, we freak out about it. We just think that we have to be, you know, I have to know everything about the Bible and, you know, I don't communicate like that person and I, I, I just, you know, it, that's just not for me. Listen, here's the bottom line today. Everybody is a mentor. Everybody is. And it changes you and me and it changes the world. Every time that I enter a mentoring relationship with somebody, whether it's three hours Three weeks or three years, and, and, I, and, and I've, I've been in relationships with people all over that time scale and all over that commitment level. Every time I meet with them, God changes me. I, I, you know, I don't even know how effective I am at helping that person, but I know that the dependency I have to show up with to, 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 to express the, the wisdom and the experience in my life in Christ to somebody, it just helps me relearn all of those things over again, and, and it's, it's me being dependent and you being dependent on the Holy Spirit to say, I don't even know what to say to this person. God, I'm just going to be obedient to whatever you... And, and something begins to happen as you begin to mentor somebody, as you begin to pour into them. In fact, look at uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 3. Jesus went up, verse 13, to a mountainside and called him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, to preach and to drive out demons. We're talking about tax collectors and fishermen here. And what did Jesus do? The king of kings and the Lord of lords did not come to earth as a king. He did not come to earth as a general. He did not come to earth as an enterprising leader. He came to earth as a mentor. Isn't that crazy? The son of God who became the human Jesus decided that his impact was going to be this. Out of thousands of people, I'm choosing 12. And I'm going to pour the next three years of my life into these 
12 guys. And then I'm going to have them do the same. And we are here today, 2,000 plus years later, because the Son of God did not come as a conquering general, did not come as a ruling king, but came as a mentor who said, hey, follow me, follow me. I'm going to show you some stuff about God, about your heavenly father, and it's going to rock your world. And he spent three years with these guys. So why are you a mentor if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you because you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was a mentor. That's how he changed the world. You may never speak like Billy Graham in front of millions of people in your life, but you will speak one at a time across a table, across a restaurant booth. You will speak one at a time generational impact, whether it's for three hours, three weeks, or three years. It will change you, and it will change them my uh, grandfather, his name's Clyde, he uh, grew up right outside of Elizabethtown, Kentucky, right at the end of World War II, I'm sorry, right at the end of the Great Depression and the beginning of World War II. He was nine years old when he went to one of these backwoods tent revivals uh, there in rural Kentucky. I mean, just something you would see out of a, out of a vintage movie. And, and he heard the gospel preached by this traveling evangelist, and he gave his life to Christ as a nine-year-old farming boy. And a man named Howard Meads, who was, a, who was an army soldier, uh, came alongside of him that day, gave him a Bible, and said that he would help him learn more about the Bible and about his new faith. But shortly after that moment, Howard Meads was sent off to Germany, you know, to save the world from Nazis, yeah? And what's interesting is not long after he arrived in Germany to fight, he was put in a POW camp. And according to the rules of war, Geneva Convention, all that, I don't know what it was, but basically uh, the European war, they allowed the prisoners of war to, to send one letter per week back home. And Howard Meads, with his one letter a week, would write my nine-year-old grandfather things about Scripture, and he mentored him from a POW camp somewhere in Germany. My grandfather to this day, who's almost 80 years old, still has those letters and still has that Bible. Howard Meads had an impact that is generational on my family. My grandfather became a pastor and an evangelist. My dad, his son, became a pastor and has been pastoring over 30 years. His son, which is me, now celebrates 15 years in pastoral leadership because one guy came alongside a nine-year-old boy somewhere outside of Elizabethtown, Kentucky in an old tent revival and wrote him letters week after week. If you think that you can't have an impact on somebody, think about Howard Meads in the middle of a POW camp 
writing a letter to a nine-year-old boy. That's who we are. And every time I sit across the table with somebody and share my life in Christ with somebody else, every time I stand here to proclaim the gospel and teach his word, Howard Mead's impact continues to impact generations. My children, I can't wait to baptize them before this congregation because they've heard the gospel and surrendered their lives to Christ. And all of that goes back to one guy who came alongside a nine-year-old boy. Everybody is a mentor. Mentoring changes us, and it changes the world. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, John, I'm scared to death. There's no way. There's no way I could. I, I, don't, even, I don't even articulate words correctly. I don't, I, again, I don't know the Bible, you know, upwards and downwards. I, I just, you know, bear. It, listen, the, the, if you're obedient to this, this call in your life, God will give you the wisdom and the insight. He, he will give you, it, through, through your reading of the scriptures, he will give you exactly what you need to show up in that moment to pour your life in Christ into someone else. And Brentwood Church, if we're going to change a city, it's going to be one person talking to one person at a time, pouring our life in Christ into somebody else. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The apostle Paul, he gets really, really practical with us. I want us to show, or I want us to see something. Uh, you know, Paul is one of the greatest mentoring examples in, in the scriptures. In fact, a lot of his letters are written to his mentees or his protégés. Uh, the, the letters to Timothy. Um, this is uh, one of the Apostle Paul's uh, mentees. He, he's, a, he's a young pastor, and Paul's writing him, and he's saying, hey, you know, here's how you deal with these issues, and here's how you deal with these personal issues, and Here's how you deal with these leadership issues. I mean, all of these letters are, are Paul mentoring, just like Howard Meads uh, mentoring this, this young pastor. And in two sentences, two sentences, the Apostle Paul gives us an understanding of how to mentor people that God puts in our path. And so if you're one of those people today who are just like, yeah, John, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's transforming me and healing me yet today. And I believe he's got impact in this world to, to, to do through me. But I don't, know how to, I don't know how to mentor somebody. Right here, the apostle Paul says in two verses exactly what it's all about. Look at this, verse 33, second part of verse 33, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, for I... Am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Right here, Paul says, if you ever get into a point where you start justifying why you are not a mentor, then you have to remember that your life is no longer your own. What does he say here? He says, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. My time is not about me anymore. My story is not about me anymore. My pride is not about me anymore. 
I want to pour that into other people so that they may be saved. Right here is the core of what it means to be a Christ follower. Your life is not your own. An effective mentor knows that living is giving. Living is giving. You are alive today. You have breath in your lungs. Your heart is beating because God is not done with you yet. He's not. He has something to accomplish through you. It may not be in Billy Graham stadiums in front of thousands and tens of thousands and millions broadcast. It may just be sitting across the table saying, let me tell you my story. And the apostle Paul says, look, before you go any further, you got to know your life is not your own anymore. That's not your story anymore. That's not your time anymore. It's Christ's time, and he's going to redeem it. And you're alive today, not so you can just continue to take the gospel and become a better person for yourself and become a better you for yourself. You're doing it because everybody's a mentor, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, came to this earth not as an army general, not as a king, but as a mentor. And that's why... We must follow his example. There was a young girl, um, Sweetbriar student, uh, who was heavily involved in our church several years ago. And she was just one of those personalities that I've already talked about. You know, she affects people when she walks in the room. She just got, she just got energy. She's just positive. Uh, you would never know that she had fought and won a battle with bone cancer since she was a little girl. And sure enough, in her freshman or sophomore year at Sweetbriar, her bone cancer came back. And so she had to leave school uh, to go back into treatment, back, back where she lived. And I remember seeing pictures of this girl. You know, she had to shave her head again, and she had to walk with a cane again. And yet she just had this, she just always had this smile on her face. And her roommates and her dorm mates and some of her friends from college approached me one day a few years ago during this period of time, and they wanted to see if we would raise some money for her. But here's the thing. It wasn't for her treatment. It was so that we could help her buy these stuffed dolls that she was using to give away to the other kids in the pediatric hospital where she was getting her treatment because she would go from room to room and she would give these stuffed dolls to these kids and she would begin a relationship, and she would begin a conversation with them and, and their parents, and before long, she was sharing the gospel with them. Here is a girl who is dying in a hospital who's being treated for terminal cancer, whose body's being racked with poison every day, and she finds enough energy to go room to room to bring love to bring light to the children in that hospital who are going through the same thing she's going through. But not just, hey, my name is, I want to share something with you. I want to share the most important hope that I have, and that is Jesus Christ. And we said as a church, you better believe we're going to help her do this. 
Everybody, guys, is a mentor. Wherever you are, your story is going to have impact on someone. Your story is going to have impact. Listen, it, just like Paul, if you, if you have gone through the valley of the shadow of death and you know what it's like to have Christ redeem you and pick you back up, if you've been to hell and back and know that Jesus saved you from, from the flames and you're here today breathing oxygen, you know that you have a story to tell, a story of redemption. Why? For the same reason Paul says, so they may be saved. So I'm for the good of many. It's not about me anymore. So so I'm telling the story so they may be saved. If you have experienced breakthroughs in your your marriage, in your career, in your whatever, because of Christ in your life, that is not yours anymore. You, You have something to say to someone so they may be saved. So they may have the gospel of Jesus Christ. In them. And if a POW can write a letter and a girl with bone cancer can walk into hospital rooms, man, can we not have lunch with somebody at work? Can we not walk across the cul de sac and invite our neighbor over for dinner? Can we not? Pray for those moments that God would give us to pour our life in Christ into someone else. Paul says it. My life's not my own anymore. My life now belongs to Christ and he's going to use me to impact many so they may be saved. That's who we are, Brentwood Church. We have a story to tell. We have good news to proclaim. One person at a time. You are a mentor. You have a circle of influence. You have proximity. You have relationship. You act and react in the circumstances and the situation in your life, and people are watching you. How do you affect them? How do you affect them? Paul goes on, though, this is what he says. If you just turn the page to the next chapter and the next verse, he just breaks it down and he just says, look, here's how you do it. Follow my example, he says to this church, as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, Some call this the pour out principle. I have some southern style Sweet tea right here. Come on. Can I get a witness? Yes. Yes. Once you pass Richmond, you're in the south. And we got some sweet tea. You get up uh, past Richmond and you start talking about sweet tea and people are like, what are you talking about? You've, you've, you've had that, um, that moment where you've walked into Chick-fil-A, haven't you? There's nothing better a Chick-fil-A sandwich, some fries, and a big old jacuzzi-sized sweet tea. Sorry, I got lost there for a second. The pour-out principle is this. Everybody has a container. 
You and I are not resourced to fill someone's container. Only the Holy Spirit can fill with fullness a person's heart and soul. What's so interesting is, though, we all have a cup. We have a story. We have our life that is following the example of Christ. And every time that we tap into that on a day-to-day basis, that cup is filled We are not responsible, though, to completely fill someone's container. So if those of you who are sitting here going, I just don't think I could ever, ever, ever make an impact in somebody's life, what you're thinking is that you have to solve all their problems, you have to transform them completely, you got to get them all fixed or you're a failure, and that is just a lie. That is a myth. All you and I are responsible to do is pour what Christ has done in us into someone else. And what's so cool is God will send somebody else in their life to do the same and do the same and do the same until their cup is full. Follow my example, Paul says. Look, man, I'm struggling with this thing. I'm fighting this thing out. God's doing this in me. He's doing that in me. Let me tell you about it. Just, you know, I'm following Jesus. Just come along. Come on. I'm going to spend three hours with you. I'm going to spend three weeks with you. I'm going to spend three years with you. But here's the deal. This isn't about me. It's just about me, you know, going after Jesus and, and then helping you come along. The pour out principle. Here it is again. We are not responsible to fill someone's cup completely, but we are responsible to pour out what we have when God asks us to. You are not responsible to change or transform someone. You are not even resourced to do that. But God will use a little bit of your cup to pour into someone's container. Everybody is a mentor. And here's the deal. It changes you and it changes the world when you do it. So what does that bring us? Let's, get, let's just get practical for a second. What if we as a church, every day that we, we woke up and we looked in the mirror, you know, ladies to blow dry your hair, men to shave your face. What if we just pray this prayer? What I'll call the mentoring prayer. Here it is, Simple. Heavenly Father, send someone into my circle of influence to pour your wisdom wisdom and gospel into. What if you just prayed that every day? You know what? They may not show up for three weeks. They may not show up for three months. But what if you just prayed that every day? God, I'm open. My heart is postured. My life and my hands are open. Would you send someone in my life today so that I can pour your wisdom and your gospel into I know, I know, I know I'm not, I'm not set up a resource to transform and fix all their problems and all their craziness. But God, I know that if I sit across the table with them and I pour what you've put in me into them, you'll change me and you'll change the world. And then when he does it, and you'll know when he does, you're just obedient to it. And it may be for three hours. You may just sit down with that person for three hours and just say, yeah, yeah, I've been through a divorce before. 
Let me, tell, let me tell you how Christ brought me through it and how my life has changed today and how I'm now helping other people who've gone through such a tough time, such a tough circumstance in life. Yeah, 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 I've doubted it all before. Yep, yep. In fact, I gave up on Christ. I, I turned my back on the church once before and I went and I lived a prodigal life. I rebelled against God. Man, and I'm telling you what, I still have the scars of that season of my life. But let me tell you something. God never gave up on me. Like, what would it, like, just, yeah, that might be a three-week relationship. Hey, well, I'm gonna meet with you once a week for the next three weeks and I'm just gonna share what I got. And I hope it's helpful for you. Or it may be three years. You may track with a person for a long season of your life. But what if you just prayed every day, God, put somebody in my life, in my circles of influence, in my proximity, in my relationships, who observes my behavior, who would say, you know what? I'm gonna talk to Jeff. I'm gonna ask him some advice. I'm gonna talk to Jill Looks like, it looks like she's, she's been through some stuff and, and has been triumphant. I just can see it through the way she carries herself. God will put those people in your life. Everybody's a mentor, Brentwood Church. Everybody. And that's how we're gonna, that's how we're gonna change a city. That's what we're gonna celebrate. It's what we're gonna develop people for. It, it's, it's, it's the things that we're going to say Hey, not everybody's going to stand in front of hundreds or thousands of people to communicate the gospel, but we all can sit across the table and pour our life in Christ into somebody. I'm going to ask the band to come right now. And while they're coming, I want to tell you kind of one story of many. I've had many mentors in my life, uh, some of them formal and some of them informal, uh, but one, one particular was, uh, when I was 17 years old, a man named Paul Coates. Paul was my, my youth pastor. He, he kind of was in my sphere of influence, and I was in his sphere of influence at a very critical time in my life. I shared a little bit last week about when I was 17 years old, how my family went through a big crisis. And I remember Paul would sit down with me and he, he saw something in me. He would, he would help. He would talk about the Bible with me. He would talk about my girlfriend with me. He would help me with my family situation. I mean, he was just, just kind of there to, to kind of give me wisdom and experience and, and, and follow me as I follow Christ kind of guy. And I remember one day, I, and it, he just said, he just said, I want you next week, I want you to teach the high school Sunday school class. And I thought to myself, well, I'm in high school. How can I teach the high school Sunday school class? But he just said, hey, I want you to do it. And I remember I was terrified. I was fearful. And, but he saw something in me that I hadn't yet seen in myself. And I remember that whole week just flipping out and freaking out. You know, how are my friends going to receive me teaching the Bible to them? I and mean, what do I have you know, to say, I mean, I've lived 17 years, but he knew that what God was doing in me through this struggle I was going through and, and how he was changing me, that somehow that my peers would, would glean something from it. And I remember, you know, a hundred or so of my peers were sitting there that day and Paul was in the back row and I remember just, I don't even, 
know exactly what I said for 25, 30 minutes that day, but I remember my friends coming up to me afterwards and then some, some of my, my peers coming up to me and I said, man, what you said today really helped me. And what I didn't know in that moment, but now know, is that God was affirming something in me. And that is that, that he wants me to teach. He wants me to preach his word. I don't know that I feel any more qualified to do that today than I did when I was 17. But every day I come up here, I'm being obedient to something and an opportunity that God has given me. And it all started with a guy named Paul Coates. And before that, it started with a guy named Howard Meads. A POW who wrote my grandfather letters when he was nine years old. The greatest impact you're going to have on this world. It's not on your blog or what you talk about on Facebook. It's sitting across the table with somebody and saying, come on, you can do this. I believe in you. I've been there. Let me pour a little bit more. Let me pour a little bit more. Imagine what this city will be like when hundreds of people from this church every week sit in coffee shops and living rooms and restaurants and pour their life in Christ, come alongside other people, how they will be changed and how this city will be changed and how this world will be changed. Pray with me. Father, anoint us for greater things. Challenge and inspire us with a greater vision for our life than TiVo and Netflix paying bills challenge us to change this world one person at a time give us the strength and the courage it's in Jesus name that I pray this